And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show, and this week we've got an early episode of The Big Thing for you. Friday's show will be a review of the USA's game against Japan. So today, we're going to answer a question that's been a dominant storyline in Italian football the last couple of weeks. What's gone wrong with Juventus? After disappointing seasons under Maurizio Sarri and Andrea Pirlo, Max Allegri returned to take charge in the summer of 2021, led the team to a resounding fourth-place finish and 70 points, which was lower than both Sarri and Pirlo's teams. <laughs> this season, Juventus is eighth in the table after seven games. They've managed just two wins and four draws. But as worrying is their Champions League form, they're third in Group H with zero points from their first two games, losses to PSG away and then Benfica at home. That second one even more troubling. Allegri remains in charge, but all is not right with the old lady. So what's gone wrong? What can be fixed? What needs to change? Joining me to answer those questions and more are Joe Lowry. Hello, Joe. Hello, Taylor. And Graham Ruffin. Hello, Graham. Hello, Taylor Rockwell. And the answer is they are linked to bad kits. You have a bad kit, you have a bad season, and Juventus have had some bad kits in recent seasons. So that's, also, it. that's the answer. Also, can we talk about how Juve's nickname is the old lady? I, I, I get that that's sort of a noble thing. You should respect your elders. I also question the wisdom of naming your soccer team that when you're not performing so well and you've been named the old lady for a long time. I think we can sort of connect the dots here, can't we? <laughs> you, you, you wanted to change it up? Should be the young man? That's what you want I mean, you to be? I don't know what I want it to be. I just question, you know, we're all so surprised that they're not playing well and they're the old lady. I mean, just think practically yeah. here. That's not the best idea. Come yeah. on, guys. That's the real rebranding and reconstruction job that they need. Just a new nickname and that old. It wasn't the crest. The it wasn't the crest. It's the nickname. For that. <laughs> all right. So if we had a, a, a proper black and white striped kit uh, and their nickname were the noble human, how are we feeling about that? Yeah. I feel, I feel pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> See, there Solved we go. It. All right. So we're done. Yeah, that's it. All right. Well, thanks, thanks, gentlemen. That was a great show. I'm not sure where we will put in the ad breaks. I'm sure we'll find some space. Now we got a lot more to talk about. But since we're kind of going on a negative track early, Graham, let's go more positive. Let's talk uh, maybe like podcast live shows out of nowhere, shall we? Yes. Why don't we? So yesterday we announced our uh, our World Cup live show. It will be in New York, not Qatar, um, on the opening day Yay. of the of the of the 2022 World Cup this winter. Um, it's at a venue called Littlefield in Brooklyn, and it's on November 20th, 8pm Eastern, and you will be able to find links to buy tickets on our, on our social media. In the show notes, I think we're going to put it in every show notes between now and the, the live show in the World Cup uh, kicking off. And we'd very much like to see you there. I think we're all very excited about this event. It'll be, event. It'll be the first time that all four of us will have been in the same place, which will be a novelty. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that we're going to hopefully produce some uh, good content and it will be a good fun night at, at Littlefield. So please come along. 
How much back and forth passive aggressiveness are you expecting between yourself and Ryan Bailey? Probably more than usual. I mean, that's what yeah. happens when you put yeah. an Englishman and a, and a Scot in the same place. I think uh, that gets ratcheted <laughs> up a little bit. Are you I even allowed feel like- to do that? I didn't even know that that like that that could happen. It's kind of like magnets, right? You put the, the ends together <laughs> that sort of push each other away. I that, was thought that true. was what happens with an Englishman and a Scotsman. Yeah, it'll be Ryan on on one side and divided by the two of you, and then me on the other side. And we're not we're we're not uh, capable of getting any closer than that. Right. Just yeah, the the neutral barrier in between. I'm good with that. I do feel like Ryan has taken more shots. Graham, I feel like you've kept your powder dry a little bit. So I am expecting just an onslaught in that first live show. But maybe that's not the most positive way to to start off doing <laughs> do a live show. Do you people want to see me physically assault Ryan at a live show? Or maybe they do. Maybe that's how we upsell this thing. Come along and we see should- that. We should do a celebrity boxing game. You know how yep. like a lot of not like main A-list celebrities, but sort of like B to B plus celebrities have been doing boxing matches recently. I think that's what we need to do. Graham and Ryan, that's how we really sell tickets for this thing. That's thought one. Also, Graham, was it during the Euros that you basically wrote the Ryan Bailey diss track and just like roasted oh, yeah. England? I think that I think that happened. I should that's go back through and try to You're find right. that particular moment. That was, and I think even Ryan would say this. He has to respect it. That was one of the best moments in recent TSS history. I think I just save them up and then just yep. un- unload them all at once. And that's that's kind of my style. Alternatively, we, we could put each other in, in one of those Zorb balls. You know those, you're talking about celebrity <laughs> boxing, Joe. You know those Zorb balls, those big see-through uh, balls and just like bash against each other <laughs> yes. on stage. That would be worth the mission price alone, I think. Definitely don't tell the venue we're going to do that ahead of time because no. I imagine they would they would not love that. We'll just spring that on them uh, last minute. Uh, but I am really excited for that live show. I hope people buy some tickets. I hope people can make it because I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And it's going to be a lot of fun to cover the World Cup with you three uh, gentlemen uh, being roommates and then being co-workers at the same time. Luckily, we've all got our own space, but I feel like we've got the common area too. It's going to be a good, good time. So hopefully people check out that show and our, all of our World Cup coverage. But that comes much later. For now, let's talk Juve, and let's start with a disclaimer. With any club the size and stature of Juventus, there's going to be myriad uh, fingers to be pointed, but we're going to do our best to break it all down. But we're going to start, I think, Joe, with this current season. I'd say there are a few things in particular that are not working with the present Juventus squad. What is chief amongst them in your eyes? Well, so I think a lot of this, and this is the way I would tend to go for most things to start off, comes down to the tactical stuff. So if we're looking for the very present active issues behind why Juventus have started poorly. They're eighth in Serie A after seven games. They've lost both of their Champions League group stage matches so far, as you mentioned earlier, Taylor. It's the first time in club history that they lost both of their first two group stage matches in the Champions League. And they haven't won a game since August 31st. So it's been you know almost a month now. That was against Spezia. If we're looking for why they can't get results against teams, at least some of those teams that they very much have a talent advantage against, it it comes down to some of the tactical errors that we're seeing right now from Max Allegri's team. This is at least a factor. Injuries are another factor as well. Federico Chiesa is out. He's dealing with an ACL tear. Paul Pogba hasn't played this year either. He's dealing with a meniscus issue. But there's more to it than the injuries. They don't value possession. Juve don't value possession under Allegri. They're 49%. 
possession in Serie A. That's what they're averaging. And they don't control the ball in the final third. So they're not really oriented to be this ball-dominant team. They're not aggressive in their press. And none of these things are wrong, right? Atletico Madrid won trophies and, and have been very successful playing this way. Other teams in the past in different countries have had success playing this way. Teams in Italy have had success playing this way. And Rhino Hanlon pointed this out for ESPN. All of the elite teams in the world are going the opposite way of Allegri. And, and maybe there's value in that for Allegri, right? Maybe there's value in, and I think as, as O'Hanlon says, zigging when everyone else is zagging. That has, that has real value, or at least it can. But then think about what you could gain from playing the way that Allegri is playing. And I'm, I'm going a little deep in the tactical stuff here, but I'm almost done, I promise. So no, when, you don't, when you don't try to dominate the ball, when, when you don't try to dominate possession, what do you naturally end up doing? Well, you naturally end up defending, right? You sort of have more numbers behind the ball. That allows you to be a little bit more compact. And the theory is when you don't extend yourself and press way high up the field and you don't try to dominate the ball in the final third, the theory is that you have more players back to defend, so it's harder for teams to score on you. That's half of it. The other part is that when you win the ball you can then attack quickly into space because you've drawn the other team forward, right? You've brought them forward to dominate the ball in your own third, your defensive third, their final third, and then you can attack quickly into space to then get chances on the break. Those are the two things that you would expect a team that's playing like Juventus with as much talent as they have relative to some of the other teams in Serie A. You would expect them to be doing those things well. The reality is right now they're not doing either one of those things. They're not defending all that well. According to ESPN, they're allowing the fifth highest quality shots in Syria right now. And, and according to FB Ref, they're in the bottom half of the table in terms of XG allowed. So they're allowing a lot of chances relative to the talent they have and how much they spend on a lot of their roster. And we'll talk about that later. Then in the attack, according to ESPN, they're moving the ball upfield at the sixth slowest tempo in Syria. They're, they're plodding their way up the field into space in, in those moments where they should be racing towards goal, right? It should be Juan Cuadrado overlapping and bursting into the attack. It should be Weston McKennie getting on the ball and driving it forward. That stuff's not really happening. So you add that with the fact that, okay, they're not dominating possession to create chances with the ball. They're not creating chances when they try to attack on the break. They're giving up far too many chances and too many high-quality chances when they sit back. And a lot of their good players are injured. And that is not exactly a recipe for early yeah. success in 2022. Allegri, has, he's never been a coach who plays with a distinct style of, of play. He's, he's not a Guardiola or, or a Klopp. But his his style of play used to be winning. He was he was substance over style, and that's all in, that's all well and good until there is no substance, as there has been this season. And Joe, you've done a good job of, of running through all the tactical things there. And you look at this Juventus team, and it's difficult to work out what sort of team they are or what their aim is as as a team at the moment. And there was actually a really interesting interview that Rory Smith did with Allegri in the New York Times back at, um, when he was in that break between leaving Juventus and then going back for a second spell. And Allegri speaks about how he basically doesn't believe in philosophy in football. And when you read that from someone who at that time, maybe not now, but at that time he was considered one of the best managers in in European football. He'd left Juventus having won, what was it, six Scudettos in, in, in a row. And in this interview, he's talking to Rory Smith about, and this is a a passage from that piece, soccer in his eyes is, quote, a team game defined by individuals, one against one, against one, against one. That's that's pretty against the grain of the current zeitgeist, right? Which is Marcelo very Bielsa about... has entered the chat. Marcelo Bielsa <laughs> well, has true. the chat. Yes, I, I guess that's, kind I of, guess that's kind fair. Kind of, sort of. But if you look at, you know, your Guardiola's, your Klopp's, your Ten Hag, what he's trying to do at Manchester United, that is against the grain. And 
it's it's about at the moment the zeitgeist is distinct styles of styles of play and sequences, whether it's defensive sequences or attacking sequences. And and I just wonder if Allegri, between given that interview where his stock was very high and now whether he's been left behind, which happens to even the best of managers. We've seen it with Jose Mourinho in recent years. We saw it with Wenger, which seemed very unlikely that it would ever happen to Wenger, given the impact he made in the, the first few years or the first 10 years of his time at Arsenal. It happened to him. So are we now seeing it with Allegri? Has he kind of outstayed his welcome at an elite level club? And is his, his, is his way of seeing the game right now just outdated and Juventus needs someone else to come in and, and, and rebuild? I think, I think there's a strong argument for that. Do you Forgive think me for being dense, but like what what I sort of am hearing or what I uh, like assume Allegri's approach to be, genuinely please correct me if you think I'm wrong, is sort of no like consistent, we're definitely playing this way, 4-3-3 possession, whatever it may be, but it's more of a, okay, I've got this squad, this is roughly how I want to play, but I'm going to tinker, I'm going to make little adjustments, I'm going to put this person in a better position. Once they're playing better, then I'm going to move this person into this position, and then ultimately I build a team that plays really well. And the thing people keep pointing to is the last time Juve had this poor of a run of form was when Allegri was in charge, and then they went on to, I think, like not lose a game for a record number of games, they win the Scudetto in record fashion. And I think people look to that as an example of how things could go. So in my mind, Allegri is sort of a tinker that ends up getting the best out of his clubs. Is that correct? And if so, how can that be outdated, basically, is my question. I think he's similar in a sense to... Well, my reading of it is he's similar in a sense to Carlo Ancelotti, Mm -hmm. who isn't necessarily wedded or tied to a single style. If you were to ask me what is Carlo Ancelotti's style of play... I. I would struggle a little bit because he's he's a man manager. He will tweak his his midfield in particular depending on the opposition. But I just don't see Allegri having a good understanding of the players that he's got at, at that club at the moment. I don't see what he's doing with the attack, for mm-hmm. example. So he's got he's playing Quadrado at right wing back right now. And Quadrado is He's not refined enough in his attacking output to provide Vlaovic with the service that he needs. I guess he provides mobility up that right side, but it's at the cost of defensive solidity because his defensive instincts are atrocious. And we've seen that. What, what was the game? Was it Salah Natana, which um, Juventus drew to to at home? Quadrado was a target for Juventus, and we don't see any learning from the squad. Quadrado's not a new player. I know Juventus have rebuilt their squad over the summer, and maybe we'll come on to onto that um, a little bit later in the show. Mm-hmm. Cordrado's been at that club for a number of years. Allegri should have a good understanding of what his strengths and, and weaknesses are. So I, I think there's a man management element of it as well. Allegri, Paul Pogba has spoken about Allegri and how Allegri got the best out of him early, earlier in his career. And that that will be an interesting yardstick for me. Paul Pogba, obviously, is one of the players who's out injured at the moment. So when he comes back from injury... I, I want to see, maybe Allegri's gone by this time, but if he's still there, I want to see how he uses Pogba and whether we see the Pogba of old, because that will almost be a measure in itself of, has Allegri still got those man management skills that he had in the past, or is that another thing that has eroded? And again, I point to someone that I've already mentioned, Jose Mourinho used to be one of his strengths, man management. Would you say it's one of his strengths now? I don't think it's been a strength of his for a number of years. He seems to have lost that connection with players, and I do wonder if Allegri suffered the same fate. 
Graham, from what you read or from that Pogba quote, did you get an impression of what Allegri's man management style was or is? Is he an arm around the shoulder guy? Is he a take you out to dinner and talk about expectations? Like, Do, do you get a, a sense of, of who he is and the relationship he builds with his players? I think he's the sort of manager who will take you aside on the, on the training pitch and mm-hmm. whisper some things almost in your ear. I, when I look at Allegri, maybe maybe this is down to... I don't speak Italian, so that mm-hmm. makes it slightly more difficult to get a, a true read of someone. I found that with Eric Ten Hag when he went to Manchester United, he'd, I, I'd only seen him really speaking in Dutch, and I now feel like I've got a better understanding yeah. of him as a person now that he's speaking English. So I add that caveat with Allegri, but he doesn't seem like a particularly vocal sort of sort of manager. Um, he's not a Pep Guardiola. He is someone that having watched some of the training footage of, of Juventus, and I did actually watch some training footage, he, he kind of leaves the coaching up to his coaching staff and then he will offer some quiet advice to, to his players. That seems to be his, his management style. So where are we then, are you feeling about Allegri? This will be a thing I think we keep going back to, but sounds like at least at this jumping off point, this early stage of the podcast, we're feeling like maybe a lot of Juve's issues, at least at present, relate to their manager. Uh, uh, some of them, yes. And I, I guess I feel like it's too early on to really get to this question mm-hmm. because there's a lot of other deeper issues that we haven't talked about yet, especially on the financial side. Yep. Some of the decision-making that's been made by, by people above Allegri and whoever that, that coach is that also, I think, deserve some some blame for what's going sure. on. But tactically, I think Allegri very clearly has been left behind. Um, I don't mm-hmm. see him on the tactical side bringing much of any value to Juventus right now. They don't look like a team that is truly threatening, and they are playing like less than the sum of their parts. Uh, and, and that, to me, is yeah. pretty damning when you're a manager. Uh, so that is, is pretty indicative of my feelings, at least, about Allegri right I- now. I don't think he's been helped by a number of factors, so mm-hmm. maybe we'll go more in depth on the financial situation. So I'll leave that for now. But some of the sporting decisions that Juventus have made in recent years. So I tell you what, Graham, like let's do this. Let's take a break for one second, then let's come back and talk about some of those deeper issues. Does that work? Yeah, sure. All right, listeners, taking one quick break, then we'll be back. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. We are back. We've talked a bit about Max Allegri this season and a little bit about past seasons. Graham, let's talk about some of the deeper issues, which is where I so rudely interjected uh, in the uh, closing moments of the final segment. Graham, take us back to where you were. No problem at all. Capitalism has to have its place, of course, in the TSS <laughs> universe. Um, yeah, oh, I think that's the official FIFA branding statement for the upcoming World Cup. But anyway... 
<laughs> yeah, I think capital, capitalism is the FIFA universe. Yes. It doesn't, it doesn't just have a place in the universe. Good point. Anyway, um, we were talking about the identity <laughs> issues that Juventus have on the pitch, and I think that reflects a lot of the identity issues they're having off the pitch as well at the moment. So it feels like they don't really know what they want to be other than really good and really big with big name players. And that <laughs> doesn't seem to... that That isn't really a strategy. Um, so in terms of their managerial choices, they've gone from Allegri to Mauricio Sarri initially, which hinted at a very different style of play. But then they go and sign Cristiano Ronaldo, who doesn't fit with Sarri's uh, style. And then they sack Sarri, who, by the way, won the Serie A title. They replace him with Andrea Pirlo, who'd never coached a game at any level before taking yeah. up the Juventus job. And then they went back to Allegri. So... There's no real vision, or at least I can't see a vision from Juventus, and it reminds me of the way that Manchester United have been in the post-Ferguson age. They've, they've swung back and forth and um, between different styles and different managers, and it's resulted in a mess of a squad that doesn't really lend itself to any style of play. And if you compare this to the way AC Milan have inst- they they got um, Stefano Paoli, and then they built around him, and they've got a clear strategy of go and sign young players, harness them, maybe even young players that have been uh, kind of chewed and, and spat out by another big club, you know, Brahim Diaz, Teo Hernandez, or Gasparini at Atalanta. You know, there's a very clear identity there. And Juventus are nothing like those clubs at the moment. And I also think the recruitment has been questionable mm-hmm. over the last few years, and this is linked to that, that lack of vision. So not so long ago, kind of as recently as 2015, I remember writing stuff about how, how Juventus were one of the best-run clubs in terms of their transfer strategy. It felt like they knew how to find value in the transfer market better than any other, certainly elite-level club. And if you go back to the 2015 summer transfer window, they spent €160 million, Euros, and for that money they got Paolo Dybala, Pjanic, Alexandro, Mario Mandzukic... Simone Zaza, which I know that one didn't work out, but at that time he was an Italian international. It seemed like that Zaza. was a decent move. Yeah, the pe- the, the funky penalty taker, yep. uh, S- Sami Kadira, and Juan Cordado. That that was a lot of quality that they got for that amount of money. But since then, their recruitment has just been absolutely abysmal, and it feeds into the financial side of mm-hmm. things as well. But I've been speaking for a long time, so maybe Joe, you can tackle yeah. the financial side of things. The key thing for Juventus that that sort of came became very clear for me throughout doing research and, and reading and watching more about Juve is that there is no guiding principle that defines them. And I think that is really troubling when you're a club with as much money, although a lot of debt as well, when you're a club with as, as many resources as Juventus and you have expectations like Juventus have. So much of, of what defines success for them at this point, just like it does for Bayern Munich, just like it does for PSG, is the Champions League. Now, they haven't exactly been winning Serie A either, so there is a call to get back to winning the title in Italy. But that is what has motivated so many of their decisions. At least that's my perception. So you think about the managerial changes that, that we've already talked about. Pirlo getting one season. Sorry, getting one season before him. Right, Allegri coming back in. Th- those quick moves were very much admissions that they shouldn't have hired those managers in the first place. That's the only way I can read those decisions. Right, Firing Pirlo after he did better. Well, I guess Allegri does worse than him when he comes in. But Pirlo, after he does you know, relatively well, finishing fourth, they finished in the Champions League spots. They hadn't won. I mean, there, there are reasons for optimism with Pirlo mm-hmm. when he comes in and he's developing a style. They say, no, nope, we don't want this. We're going to come and play a different way. We're going to play Allegri's way, which is, is almost in some ways no way at all. That's an admission of failure in the first place to have hired Pirlo, to have hired Sarri, to go back to a manager that doesn't prioritize possession. 
And then by continually chopping and changing, and this, this applies to the manager spot, this also applies to the squad, Graham, which I think you did a great job of detailing some of their missteps there, you keep pulling the, the trigger so quickly, right, on players or on coaches. You keep pulling the trigger so quickly on deals or whatever it is because you're not winning the Champions League. And then you make it even harder to make runs in the Champions League because you pulled the trigger so quickly. Why? Why? Because you're resetting so often, right? So 2019, we're looking at the Champions League results right here. 2019, Juventus lost in the quarterfinals to Ajax under Allegri. So Allegri sort of rides off into the sunset. Now it's 2020. They lose in the round of 16 to Lyon. Okay, Juventus think we took a step back. We need to make a change. Pirlo comes in, 2021. They lost in the round of 16 to Porto. No progress. So Pirlo's gone, right? He's done. 2022, they lose in the round of 16 to Villarreal, a very fun, awesome Villarreal team that I still love with my whole heart. But they lose to Villarreal in the round of 16. Now, in 2023, 2022, really, because they might not make it to the knockout rounds in 2023, we're talking about a potential group stage exit for Juventus. So you've chopped and changed so much, and you've gone backwards in the Champions League, even if they make it out of the group stage, which is still possible. They have a six-point gap to make up on PSG and Juventus, but they have a six-point gap. They could make it out of the group. Does this squad look to anyone like it is Champions League caliber? Like, like, it, is, no. like it is Champions League trophy caliber, I should put it that way. There's not enough depth in this team. There's not enough quality in this team. I would say even when you bring Pogba... And Chiesa back. Those moves help a lot, but I think they're a little light on depth in the back. I think they're a little bit light on depth out yep. wide. Now, Chiesa really does help solve that issue, but still, I mean, they are, as we've seen, an injury or two away from disaster, at least by their standards. And that is not something that you can say about Manchester City. It's not something you can probably say about PSG either. It's not something you can say about Real Madrid. It's not something you can say about the best teams in the world right now. And it's becoming clearer and clearer from all of the rash decisions that have been made from the squad building and and the lack of cohesiveness in their squad that Juve is actually further away from yeah. making runs in the Champions League and further away from truly competing in Syria. Not that it would totally shock me if they come back and, and, and sort of reemerge and win the title this year in Syria, but they are largely further away from their goals now than they were back in 2020, and that is a problem. Yeah, if you compare their squad now to the squad that made two Champions League finals in three years, that you're right, Joe, this, this squad is just nowhere near as, as good at that squad as that squad. And I'm just going to run through some of the the figures that they have paid for players since oh, yeah. that time. So the the full financial package for signing Gonzalo Higain in 2016, who was at that time 30 years old, was 122 million euros. The financial package for signing Douglas Costa was 87 million euros. And then there was the Ronaldo signing, which all in all cost Juventus around 280 million euros for three seasons. And I found a report that added up the money Juventus had spent on just just nine players alone since 2016. So this isn't their full transfer activity. This is just nine high-profile players. And those nine players were Higain, Ronaldo, Aaron Ramsey, Douglas Costa, Adrian Rabio, Bernadeschi, um, Kulisevsky, Artur, and Marco Piaka. And none of those players, you would say, really had... I know Ronaldo had a couple seasons as, as top scorer, but the team regressed when he was uh, in that in that side, the total amount was 500 million euros. And how many of those players would you say have been or were successful for Juventus? What return did Juventus get on that investment? And the other thing, going back to this question of identity, looking through those players, what's the common thread for any of those players? You know, what what is the, the ideology, the philosophy behind that transfer strategy? I think that is 
as much as Allegri is, is making mistakes, and if it was up to me to get to editorialize a little bit, he would be gone by now if it was if it was my decision. But as much as as much as he's made mistakes, there are, there's other stuff going on in the background which has contributed to this mess that Juventus are in right now. It, it yeah, feels I, like, Graham, the common thread is money. Very expensive. That's the only thing that really links a lot of those players together. Yeah. It feels like, to me, we are talking about what could happen to Barcelona right now if, if everything goes wrong for them. Right? It, it's almost like with all of that spending, and, and COVID came at a pretty brutal time for Juventus in the midst of some of that spending. With all of that spending, Juventus are sort of banking on making deep runs in the Champions League and, and continuing to elevate their club profile which just really hasn't happened yet. They were almost banking on, not maybe in the same way as Barcelona, but sort of a virtuous cycle that we've talked about with Barcelona and their finances. But the cycle is is far from complete because every time they make it into the Champions League, they're getting bounced in the round of 16 or, or maybe the quarterfinals. It is, it is a failed exercise in that way, in a way that you know, maybe Barcelona will experience as well. But we're sort of in the earlier stages for Barcelona right now than we are for Juventus. Yeah, and and when you factor in all that that spending with the de- the declining performances in the Champions League that you detailed, Joe, and then you have the the COVID pandemic as well, it adds up to a big problem. And Juventus are, are expected their financial results for twenty one twenty two, which are expected, I believe, before the end of September. I've seen reports suggest that those losses are going to be around two hundred and forty million euros that's a shocking amount of money to lose in just 12 months in 12 months where Juventus I believe have been able to have full capacity crowds in their stadium maybe it's maybe it's one or two months um they had limited crowds but for the most of most part they've been allowed to have full crowds that that was after the pandemic 2021 or the or the or the 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 heat of the pandemic I should say and that comes after losses of 210 million euros which were lodged for the 2020-21 season and there was a cash injection of 400 million euros earlier this year. Um, and that money came from a variety of banks and minority shareholders. And the year before that, there was another cash injection of 200 million euros. This does not paint a picture to me of a well-run club. And this is a factor in why Allegri might be safe for the time being, because he's on this salary of 9 million euros a year. He's the joint highest paid manager in Serie A, along with Mourinho at this moment in time. It's going to cost around 20 million euros to pay him off. And at the moment, Juventus don't really have 20 million euros spare. They don't have it lying around to sack a manager. That's before you even consider getting someone in like Tuchel or a a high-profile manager. He's going to need a big salary. That's before you even consider that. That's just to get rid of Allegri. They're going to have to pay 20 million euros. So that's one of the reasons that you find a lot of people who are close to this situation and reporting on Juventus still saying, still insisting that Allegri's not going to get sacked anytime soon, at least before the World Cup break. And is that what you're sort of feeling, Graham, at present? I'm going to make an argument in a little bit about why I think they have held on to him, but also why maybe they should continue to employ him. But are you feeling like that will be the case for at least the foreseeable future? I think so. I mean, I have to, I have to believe the reporting of, of people who are much closer to this than I am, people who mm-hmm. report on Juventus and Italian soccer for, for, for a day job. They all expect, and of course, unexpected things can happen in football. I don't think anybody expected Chelsea to sack Tuchel for example, um, so hastily this season. And so situations can change. Maybe there's a, a falling out with Agnelli over the international break. And that is the thing that prompts, you know, as I say, things things can change in football. But the financial situation is, is such a big factor for Juventus right now. And it also, 
if you replace Allegri now, um, it means that Juventus are given up on this rebuild that they had in the summer, which everything that I've read suggests Allegri had a big say on the, on the, in the players that were signed for that rebuild. So they're just not in a financial position right now to start it all over again. I have read some reports that says maybe once those financial um, results for last year, the last financial year, are lodged by the end of this month, um, that maybe that is a window of opportunity for Juventus because further down the line for the next 12 months, they can cut their cloth somewhere and say, OK, well, we're going to use this 20 million euros to get rid of Allegri, but we're going to maybe take this from the transfer budget or we're going to try and restructure some wages, kind of like what Barcelona have, have done, or they might have another cash injection or something like that. But until those financial results are lodged, I think Allegri is safe. And most people mm. think he's going to be safe until the, the World Cup break, at least. All right, let's do this. Let's take one more break. When we come back, I will make my incredibly compelling and persuasive argument for why they have stuck with Allegri, but why they maybe should continue to stick with him. And then I look forward to you all uh, tearing it apart and nitpicking every <laughs> detail. Uh, genuinely, my plan for the, for the final segment of the show. Back soon. Hey, folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early. There are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation. There's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly. There's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there. There's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain. There are many things to deal with. And unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively. But for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible 
to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Welcome back. We have been discussing Juventus and the problems at the club, the present situation of the club. Uh, I want to make an argument for why they have stuck with Allegri and why I think they should continue to do so. I will say up front that I think Graham uh, and Joe, you all have done a good job of explaining all the background issues. And I think Graham, especially the financial side of things, is probably why Allegri is still there more than anything else. I think if they had the money and uh, they felt like Thomas Tuchel were the right hire or Pochettino were the right hire, I think they would uh, make that happen pretty quickly. But they have not. And again, I think money is a lot to do with that. But I also think the squad build that you all have talked about plays a big part both in their present form and in why maybe they're sticking with Allegri. Because I'm looking at specifically the departures from this club. And when you're looking at Giorgio Chiellini, uh, Gigi Buffon, and uh, Paolo Dybala all leaving – Two of those, obviously, key to the kind of defensive side of things, but all of them very much steeped in the Juve tradition. And we had a question about, like, is it all Dybala? Would Dybala make them better? I think Ryan asked me that on a recent show. And I said, you know, no, I think he was a kind of a bench performer. He was a somewhat erratic performer for them. I think they didn't know how to use him or how best to use him, so they were happy to move him on. I would like to amend that now because everything I have read and heard about him was basically that he was the player you could introduce when it's nil-nil and you have a compact defense and you just need an individual piece of brilliance, individual quality. He could make things happen. He would be the difference maker. And he also just really cared about the club. He had the passion for the badge that you need when you're playing for a club the size of Juve. Not just because you need those individual performers, but because you need the locker room to sort of buy in and have that same like, oh, right, we're an institution. We're the old lady slash noble human. Uh, we right. should be dominating this league from start to finish. And when you start to lose some of that identity, I, I wonder if some of that just that resolve some of that. We are this unstoppable object. How dare you try to stand in our way becomes, Hey, can you please get out of our way, please? We'd like to be that unstoppable object again. And, and I think especially then when you look at the other departures they've had of late, uh, Christian Romero, they finally let go and they've been letting him go on loan for a while, but he's a center back that I have to believe that make a difference. They sell Mara de Merrill, uh, this off season to Atalanta, Atalanta now, uh, near the top of the table and Matias de Ligt also on the way out the door. And so between those three and Chiellini and Buffon, suddenly you really don't have that defensive spine they've had for so long and could rely on for so long. And I think Allegri, when he first takes over from Antonio Conte is inheriting a team 
that's built to play very strongly defensive, counterattacking and effectively counterattacking at that football. And they have the individual players who can make that happen. They have the talent to possess the ball when they need to. But once they get up one nil, it's sort of that's all she wrote. You can you can rely on that defensive presence to see out the result, to let the uh, opposition get stretched, and then you get one or two or three more. And I think that was kind of the blueprint for their success. When you lose the center backs they have, when you lose those defenders, they've replaced certainly this offseason with Bremer especially, but you need some time. You need time to find that rhythm to get back into it and to instill that identity, and you can't do that really quickly. And so my feeling is basically they're going with Allegri. You did this previously. You stabilized the ship, and it was a stronger ship at that point after Conte left. You can do it again. You can find that defensive uh, spine and that spirit, and you can get this team back on track, and we're going to give you that extra bit of breathing room to make that happen. Uh, because ultimately we also don't want to spend the money to bring somebody else in, and then we have to add even more to this squad, which means spending even more money. So that is the kind of my operational theory as to why they have stuck with him. I look forward to you all obviously completely agreeing, and that's the end of the episode. <laughs> well, okay, so Taylor, sorry, can you summarize yeah. summarize that? My interpretation is that mm-hmm. you want to keep Allegri because there's already been a lot of chopping and changing, and, and continuing to do that will not help you grow and sort of develop as a club and return to that identity. Is that a fair summary? Why don't you do it for me? Yeah, I mean, that's basically it. It's essentially that so much has changed that changing the manager again will not have the impact that I think they might have thought it would when they yeah. sacked Sorry, when they sacked Pirlo. And so there's basically stick with a guy who's done it before, who's gone on the run that I mentioned previously, and like help, let him work to turn it around. Uh, that is reliant on him not being an outdated manager who the game has passed. And maybe that right there is part of the flow with this idea. I, I think Taylor... I think you're on to something because are we are any of us really convinced that if you drop Allegri and bring in Zidane or even bring in someone like Tuchel, which which feels very unlikely given how expensive those two managers would be to acquire and, and to to pay really is the difficulty there. Are any of us really convinced that they're going to drastically improve this team? Yes. I think we could see some. OK, so Graham says, yes, I'm not convinced in that regard. I don't know that there's the talent here to to really make a night and day difference. Maybe after January. Maybe after Kies and Pogba are back, but I think that's going to be the benchmark. I think that's how you continue to improve this squad. It has less to do with Allegri, although I do think there are some very real tactical issues there that do stem from him. I think it has more to do with the team than than it does with any particular manager. But Graham, you can go ahead and, and share why you think that's wrong. So my issue with this is that it's it's kind of treating Allegri as if this is his first season and that lots of the issues that we are seeing this season weren't also evident last season. And and there's a a Juventus blogger, a guy called Adam Digby on on Twitter, I'd recommend him for a follow. He's very good for Juventus views and opinions. And he basically said every season under Allegri feels like the first year of a rebuild and it doesn't really go anywhere. And I can see where he's coming from with that. I don't... I understand that Juventus are at the start of a rebuild and this might be a transitional season, but similar to, and I've used this example a couple of times already, but it's because I think there's relevance, similar to Ten Hag at Manchester United, you can pinpoint two or three things that are the, the pillars of what, the pillars of his philosophy, of what, of what he wants that team to be. I look at Allegri now, and even when results aren't, aren't coming, that's not actually the, the truest measure, I think, of, of, of a rebuild. I think you want, you, look, you want to look at the performances and the strategy behind it and everything like that. I, I can't see those pillars. I don't know what this team is trying to be. 
I think there are better options out there right now. So let's put aside the money side of things, which I know you can't really do that if you're running a club. But for argument's sake, let's do that. I think there are a number of better options right now than Allegri. So Tuco, I understand these are all different types of manager. And I'm sort of doing a Todd Bowley thing here of just collecting different managers and putting them on a shortlist. But you've got, you know, Tuco, Pochettino, Zidane. There's reports in Italy this week that Conte, he is only going to do until the end of the season at Spurs and he would be keen to come back to to Italy. And as I say, those are all different managers. But if you're at Juventus, you settle on, right, what is our what is our vision for the future? And you go, right, which manager is it that fits that vision? And right now, there's probably a pretty good elite level manager that will fit that vision because it's, there's, a, there's a market for it right now. The other thing I would say about Allegri, not to, to revise too much about what he has achieved in the past, because you can't really argue with six uh, Serie A titles. But I do think in the past, Juventus were almost default champions and that there wasn't a great yeah. deal of competition for a number of years. You had Sarri's Napoli, they came close, but beyond beyond that season, there wasn't much competition. You look at Serie A now, the two Milan teams are back, um, Atalanta are strong, Roma have got Jose Mourinho, um, whom I forget, Napoli under Spalletti this season have been fantastic, Lazio have been good at the start of this season, it feels like it is much tougher at the top of yeah. Serie A, and so that's where you kind of need to be much stronger in your style of play and your beliefs and what you stand for, and I just... I just don't see any of that with Allegri at the moment. So, um, yeah, that's why I would I would disagree a bit with that. If he came out, Graham, and said, if Allegri came out and said, look, like the attacking side of the game will come, these things will stabilize. But right now, my two priorities are stabilizing the center back play, both in terms of their defensive discipline, but also their ability to play forward. And then finding one central midfielder who can be the creative midfielder that can transition quickly into attack. Like if he identified a few things that were very clearly his priorities, would that make you feel better? Yes, it would. And I think this is actually, I'm glad you raised this because it's in my notes. Allegri's communication through the start of this season has been abysmal. Um, I know one of the things that is grating with Juventus fans is the way that he's just brushing off the questions about being sacked and bad results. And after the Benfica defeat, he essentially shrugged his shoulders and went, well, that's football. Or to be more specific, he said, these things happen in football, which isn't much better. And before the start of the season, you had Allegri making bold comments about winning the league and Juventus having a duty, as he put it, to be the best team in Italy. So you've gone very quickly from a manager being bullish and ambitious, which is probably what you want at the start of this kind of rebuild that Juventus are are, are starting. You've gone from that to someone basically saying, well, poop happens, deal with it. And that kind of that smugness, I don't think, has sat well with with fans at all. And that smugness probably comes from the stuff we're talking about with the financial situation where he knows he's not going to get sacked anytime soon but a little bit of communication would 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 go some way at least with the fans I think I'm as I say I'm glad you mentioned that Taylor because that has been a problem for him I think also what's been interesting to me in the way and Graham you you called this one out the way he gets discussed the way I've heard other pods discuss him is as though this is his first season back and I definitely you know uh time is a flat circle goldfish brain all those things I, I definitely almost had a moment where i was like is it this is was pirlo there last year is that how quickly time has gone yeah. no it is not he has been there for a season so i do think he gets a little bit of the kid glove treatment and joe i think to the argument that maybe allegri is part of the problem i, I think one one big thing that i have a, a hard time shaking is the fact that 
like in the time that he was not Juve manager, he was no one else's manager. How much do you think that the idea that nobody else came in for Allegri when there have been so many managerial vacancies uh, between the time he left and the time he came back? Do you think that is another sort of indictment of him as a manager? I was under the impression at the time that that was sort of Allegri doing a pep and taking mm-hmm. almost a sabbatical and sort of stepping away. Okay. And, and maybe maybe that's part of it. I don't know the inside details of that. Another part of it, Taylor, I think very much is this idea that soccer has passed Allegri by, which I, yeah. I do think is true, right? I, I'm saying, you know, I don't know that it, it makes the most sense for Juventus to part with Allegri right now because he's only part of the problem. And I think fixing... Yeah. The, the the squad identity is a bigger issue, but it's also hard to do that without a direction, right? So, Graham, I feel where you're coming from. If you come in and you have a Tuchel or you have a, a Conte come in next season, whatever that looks like, that gives you something to work from, right? Then you build your player recruitment. There's a reason why when teams come into MLS, it always is, is sort of a risky decision to go out and make moves on the player side of things before you hire your manager as an expansion team, before you have a clear vision on how you want to play. I think a lot of times, though, that that stuff is best dictated by even people above the manager and the managers working in conjunction with those people. So, yeah, I think when you look around at the best clubs in the world, Taylor, and, and, and when you look around at the best clubs in the world, they have an identity. They have something that binds them together, something that you associate with them. And this sounds like very philosophical and artsy, and in some ways it is, but in, in other ways it's true, right? Think it about, sounds a little bit like common sense to me. So think, yeah, think about I, I, yeah, okay, good. On the right track. Yeah, think about Manchester City, right? They have an identity in how they want to play under Pep, and they also have an identity in the player recruitment side. Mm-hmm. You think about Real Madrid; they very much have uh, an identity when it comes to player recruitment. They have been one of the best teams, I think, in the entire world at bringing in players and developing them and, and getting real superstars on the field and transforming players into those superstars. They have less of a a tactical identity under Ancelotti, but they have an identity still as a club. You look at Juventus and and they don't have that in a tactical sense and they also don't have that in a player recruitment sense. So my my preference, I guess, if I'm Juventus, is to stabilize more of the long term. How are we identifying players? How are we spending our money season after season, transfer window after transfer window? Because right now we're lighting it on fire. And Allegri is not the guy, in my view. I've already said I think he's outdated and I think the game has passed him by in some senses. His his views of soccer seem very ancient to me in a lot of different ways. So I, I, I would prefer to watch a team like Juventus play with a cohesive tactical identity as well. But the reality is for Juventus, you can only fix so many problems at once. And so I would much lean towards the trying to identify talent, bring it in, and sort of stabilize the squad over over trying to bring in another manager and just throwing more stuff at the wall to see if it sticks. Mm-hmm. Ideally, you do both. Ideally, both are already done, but they're not. And you have to prioritize what they want to do going forward because it's very clear right now that a lot of different things are broken. That That's the one argument I could get on board with for keeping Allegri until, say, the, the World Cup break. As Juventus right now in the background are going... Okay, there's a recognition that they they need uh, a vision, everything that you said, Joe, they're a strategy that underpins everything. And right now they're working out that vision. And then once they work that out, that's when they make the managerial change. That would be a sensible thing to do. Um, my worry is that Juventus are not doing that. And they're just going, oh, it'll be fine. Allegri's won this Scudetto six times before and uh, he'll turn things around and not under underpinning his team with anything meaningful. That's That's my concern. I'm really glad we did this episode because it it hadn't occurred to me how much I like it when I can understand a club. Um, and, and I think that's the thing that we'll see with the World Cup. When you watch teams 
like ve- like a, a team very frequently in a short amount of time, you start to understand them and there becomes a shorthand such that when you talk about them in the knockout round, you can sort of be like, ah, we know what the 11th is going to be. We know roughly how they're going to play. Here are the kind of minute permutations we might get. But with Juve, I think we've talked about them a couple times already this season in the weekend review and in our Champions League coverage. It tends to be different stuff, different formations, different players who are at fault or helping bail them out. But then those players who did bail them out then become at fault in later games. And there doesn't seem to be a ton of what you all have talked about, identity to this club. And I hadn't really thought about how important that is. So if we're summarizing sort of the situation where things have gone wrong with Juve, I feel like I have four bullet points, two of which are connected. The first one, the largest one, would just be the financial issues that basically every big club has if they aren't backed by a sovereign wealth fund. Then there are going to be those financial issues that they have to combat, but also publicly act like they aren't combating because that makes them look uh, weaker, hurts their negotiating ability. So I think finance is number one. Number two, we talked in a lot of different ways about identity, the the pillars of the system, knowing who they are. And Graham, I think you said it very early. Uh, they don't have a guiding principle that defines them. Joe, you've talked about that as well. I think that's number two for me is that there isn't just this defined idea of who they are, how they want to play. And with that, then you have the third bullet point, a scattershot approach to recruitment and pulling the trigger too quickly when it comes to buying players, but also more importantly, selling players. And then the final point would be a manager that needs to evolve or has been potentially left behind and isn't able to maybe bridge some of those gaps that we're talking about. That is my uh, four point summary of the situation at Juve. What do we think? I think it's I think it's good. The only thing I would say is. Uh, a lot of their financial issues are not brought on just by the fact that they're not a sure. club owned by sure. a sovereign wealth fund. A lot of these sure. things are avoidable, like spending, what was it, $130 yeah. million dollars yeah. on or euros on Gonzalo Higuain? Yeah. That, that probably didn't need to happen, and yeah. you could apply that logic to a lot of these other moves as well. I think I meant it, I hear you, I think I meant it even more depressingly that it just seems like every club that isn't backed by a sovereign wealth fund has found a way to get themselves into financial hot water. There are a few that haven't, uh, but for the most part, I think it's a recurring yeah. issue such that I'm like, yeah, we all know financial issues is number one. But then the rest of the issues, like you can almost sort of skip past it because we just sort of know it's there. It is a relevant talking point, though, with Juventus, because we True. should remember that Agnelli, he's got an obsession with, uh, right. maybe justifiably so, but he's got an obsession with the Premier League and taking really? Juventus up to that. Yep. Yeah, exactly. He was That's what I was going on to. He was one of the, the ringleaders in the, in the Super League proposal. And so it, it feels like he's spent this money to try and prove yeah. that Juventus can compete with the, the, the clubs that are owned by sovereign wealth funds. And that has just dug this deep hole for Juventus that they're in yeah. now. And he'd hoped that the Super League was going to be the thing that washed all that away and got Juventus up on a, on a level footing with those clubs and with the Premier League clubs. And obviously that didn't materialise. And now Juventus are, are in this mess. So I think it is, a relevant, it is a relevant talking point to compare Juventus to those clubs because that has been a motivation as to why they've ended up here. Well, and there's a broader discussion that we don't need to have right now because it doesn't really fit within the scope of this show. But there's a broader discussion about how the Premier League is leaving everyone else behind, not just Juventus, but they're leaving every league in the world behind in terms of the the money they're generating from their brand, right? Especially TV money. You look at the international TV rights value and what people are paying for this. And the gap between the Premier League and Serie A is it's massive. It's absolutely massive. And so to compete with Premier League teams to have success in the Champions League, which has been Juventus's goal for quite some time, again, to get back to that space. 
and now also to sort of, you know, win this little thing called Serie A along the way. Those are legitimate goals, but the gap between them and the other great teams in the world are, are, are huge because either teams are owned by sovereign wealth funds and you have tons of money coming in from foreign nations like with PSG, like with Manchester City, you have a ton of cash on hand, or you're Liverpool in the Premier League and you have just this ridiculous uh, transfer machine that you've built and you have this cohesive identity and you are in a lot of ways a model club also with a ton of money at your disposal because you play in the Premier League and have owners that are willing to spend it's, it's a problem for Juventus. They, they can't afford to just waffle back and forth. No club outside of the Premier League can afford to waffle back and forth. You have to have a Bayern Munich level of, of vigilance in the transfer market. You have to have a Bayern Munich level of success and cohesiveness and identity to truly compete in the Champions League. You have to be Real Madrid with this history that also informs the player recruitment that you're making and have these smart signings and develop those players. You have to have something to compete because right now the gap is growing between the best teams in the world, which a lot of them are in the Premier League, the best league in the world in terms of money and resources is the Premier League and the rest of the world and certainly European football. Closing thoughts, any other things we didn't get to for what's gone wrong for Juventus? Gentlemen. Weston McKenney, player manager. I mean, I was kind of <laughs> going to ask that, if maybe that's the route we should be going. We know he's a locker room guy, good chemistry, good energy. I think Weston McKinney probably solves this one. So have we solved the problem? Appoint Weston McKinney, player manager. You're good to go? Yeah, I think so. name um, and better kits and Weston McKinney, player manager. Ranch You're is welcome, the assistant manager. Andrea, Just a bottle Agnelli. of ranch. <laughs> a bottle of ranch. There are your four solutions, Juve fans. Graham Ruthven, thank you for helping me find those problems, but also find those solutions. Thank you, Taylor Rockwell. Uh, Joe Lowry, thank you as well, my friend. Thank you, Taylor. Listeners, thank you so much for listening. Hopefully you've enjoyed this episode of The Big Thing. If you are in the New York metropolitan area or you fancy a trip uh, in the middle of the World Cup, then uh, be sure to get some tickets for our live Qatar. show. Uh, what's that, Graham? <laughs> but not to Qatar. If you fancy a trip, but not yep. actually to the World Cup, yep. come see us. That was Weird pretty guys. much the math we did, right? Was nobody really wants to go to Qatar and it's also going to be very expensive and depressing. Where's a place we could go that we all do want to go on the Eastern Seaboard? Bing, bang, boom. Here we are. Disney World. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Sorry. Hard pass on that for me. Disneyland <laughs> all the way. Uh, listeners, thank you so much uh, for joining us today. We look forward to talking to you again next week on another Big Thing episode. And again this week uh, for our review of USA Japan. But for now, thanks again for listening. Talk to you all soon. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.